that you should not be offended. They shall put you out of the synagogues, yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he does God's service. And these things will they do unto you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things have I told you that when the time shall come, you may remember I have told you them. And these things I said not unto you at the beginning because I was with you. But now I go away to him that sent me. And none of you asked me, where do you go? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father, and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that will he speak." And he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and will show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore I said, he shall take of mine, and show it unto you. You may be seated. That is the word of God. Well, good morning. It is a true blessing to be with all of you here this morning. And today is Pentecost Sunday. I'd like to start off with a story of a man we'll call Steve. Steve was a young Operation Iraqi Freedom veteran who was depressed. So he went to see his pastor. Steve told his pastor that he had grown up with a deeply devout Christian mother who had always told him that God had great plans for his life because Steve had survived a very difficult birth. Steve held on to his mother's words throughout his life. And as Steve grew up, he had a deep respect for God and country. So when he came of age, he joined the Marines, looking to make a 20-year career out of it. Life was going great until one day he was deployed to the Middle East. And his life drastically changed when one day an IED blew by him. He survived the blast, but sustained traumatic brain injury, which caused sudden and inexplicable seizures. As a result of the seizures, Steve's dream of making a career out of the military ended when he was medically discharged. Matters got worse when, as a civilian, he was informed that due to his seizures, he would not be allowed to get a driver's license. Now he was unemployable for many of the jobs he was well-suited for in the past. And finally, things hit rock bottom when one day his wife came to him and said, Steve, you're not the man that I married. I didn't sign up for this. I'm filing for divorce. So Steve looked at his pastor that morning and said, All that I ever hoped for in life, everything I aspired to, my career as a Marine, my marriage, my ability to get a job, Everything 
is gone. And now I'm back home in the house I grew up in, and I hear mom's words mocking me. God has great hopes for you, son. Tell me, pastor, what is God's great hope for me? A story of Steve's life is not unique to the military, not by a long shot. See, in a broken world filled with unrest, wars and joblessness, pandemics, so many are like Steve, desperately searching for hope and comfort. Perhaps some of you are here today, desperately searching for hope and comfort. And in today's scripture text, Jesus identifies the Holy Spirit as the comforter. And there is good reason for that. Christians both now and then need the supernatural comfort of the Holy Spirit in order to get through the very real tribulations of this world. What men like Steve need is the real and audacious power of the Holy Spirit. On a greater level, I believe that the church needs a fresh awakening from the Holy Spirit so that it could and will go out and do the work of ministering to broken men like Steve. Now, I want to clarify something here that's very important. Just who exactly is the Holy Spirit? Christians, unlike Mormons, Muslims, Jehovah Witnesses, believe in the Holy Trinity. The triune nature of God is taught all over Scripture. For example, in our passage today, John 15, 26, that very first verse we read teaches it. Do you see it? Let's read it one more time. But when the Comforter, that's the Holy Spirit, is come, I will send unto you from the Father, referring to God the Father, even the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, who proceeds from the Father, and he shall testify of me, God the Son, Jesus Christ. And in similar ways, all over Scripture, the Trinity is taught. And therefore, the Holy Spirit is not some positive force field or a phantom or some sort of positive energy. It's not anything like that. The Bible teaches us that the Holy Spirit is God himself. And as Christians, we believe in one God who eternally exists in three distinct persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. These are not three manifestations of the same God, or else that would be the heresy of modalism. But instead, three distinct persons who exist as one God. The Father did not create the Holy Spirit nor did the Son create the Holy Spirit, nor did the Father create the Son. Instead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit coexisted from all of eternity past and will exist throughout all eternity future. And it is for that reason Christians all over the world hardly agree with that historic Nicene Creed, which so helpfully declares to us, we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, He proceeds from the Father and the Son, and with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified. Why is the Holy Spirit worshipped and glorified? Because the Holy Spirit is God. 
And that fact is important for us to remember as we read today's passage. Solely based on today's passage of Scripture, the main principles of today's text are the following. The Holy Spirit, also known as the Comforter, leads Christians to the truth, verse 13, reproves the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment, verse 8, and gives Christians the otherworldly power, ability, and comfort in order to live this difficult world and perhaps even die for the gospel if called to. And that's in verse 2. How were the 10 out of 12 disciples able to die for their faith? The answer is through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And you're going to hear me say this again later in this sermon. There was and is a purpose behind the issuance of the Holy Spirit. Now today marks the day of Pentecost, often known as the birthday of the Christian church. Many church historians believe that this day is just as important as Easter or Christmas. And here's why. Out of three significant Jewish festivals, Pentecost is the Greek name for the Jewish festival of weeks known as the Feast of Harvest. You see, the word pente is in the the word Pentecost, and it's a reference to number 50. Jews celebrated Pentecost 50 days after Passover, their exodus from slavery in Egypt. And according to the Jews, God gave Moses the Ten Commandments on that day, so that day was a big deal. Jewish law required all adult Jewish men to come to Jerusalem from wherever they were living in order to offer the first fruits of the spring crops to God. And for those of you familiar with the biblical account of Acts 2, Jews from every nation under heaven gathered in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, when suddenly the Holy Ghost descended on followers of Jesus, causing them to speak in tongues. And roughly about 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus, the promised Holy Ghost finally arrived upon his disciples, and they were in many ways, as we just sang, new first fruits of God's spiritual harvest to come from every nation and tribe all over the world. Prior to that day, Jesus had instructed his his disciples to wait After that day, they were to go into the entire world and preach the gospel. At Pentecost, the church was not only empowered by the Holy Spirit, but expanded to all nations and ethnic groups. The practice of observing Pentecost dates back to the United Kingdom, in places where they had something known as Whitsunday, a reference to the white robes they would wear for baptism. Because the tradition was that they would baptize individuals on Pentecost Sunday. A tradition that hopefully will continue today, right here after this sermon. It was a reminder to all who came, to all Christians, that they were not to simply lazily coast through life, but it was an active reminder on Pentecost Day that the church had a mission. And of all the great purposes in life, the ultimate purpose in life was to fulfill the great commission of Jesus Christ by declaring his gospel to the world. Now, what is the gospel? It's not simply telling somebody, Jesus loves you. 
That's true and good news. But the word gospel means good news. It is a message. And as such, it contains parts. If you could boil it down, you could boil it down to four simple points. One, there is a God who is just holy and love. Two, all humans from inception are sinners in need of a Savior. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In fact, we are not sinners because we sin, but rather we sin because we are sinners. Ephesians says, by nature, that's who we are. Sinners in need of a Savior. Sinners deserving of God's wrath in hell. A very unpopular topic these days. But the good news, point number three. God so loved the world, He gave His only Son, Jesus, who was fully God and fully man. He lived a sinless life, the second person of the Holy Trinity, incarnate on earth, and then He died on the cross to pay for the sins of those who would believe in Him. Historically resurrecting on the, on the third day, it's not a myth, He historically resurrected to give us eternal life. But lastly... We have to personally repent and believe in Jesus as our Lord God and Savior in order to have eternal life. Our parents can't do it. Our relatives can't do it. Our church members cannot do it for us. Salvation is not by osmosis. It doesn't spread. Salvation is personal. And it is by grace, through faith, we are saved. So it's that simple message, friends. God good, man bad, Jesus saves, you believe. So simple that a child can believe, but so complex that theologians spend years delving into its depths. That simple gospel in Christ is what saves us. And you see, it is that bona fide purpose that provides comfort through the Holy Spirit. God provides each believer with the Holy Spirit upon belief in the gospel, so that the believer could be empowered to do God's work. Scripture clearly teaches us that the moment you believe in the gospel, you are reborn and filled with the Holy Spirit. And without that Holy Spirit, you cannot be God's. Romans is very clear. We are not God's if we do not have the Holy Spirit. And if you are a believer in Christ this morning, you are Christ. And you have the Holy Spirit. That is what Pentecost is all about. Most of us in here today, I don't believe, are ethnically Israeli. We're not Jewish. We come from various other people groups from all around the world. So the fact is that none of us would be sitting here in church this morning if the Holy Ghost did not descend Pentecost Sunday nearly 2,000 years ago. The truth remains today. God did not give you the Holy Spirit without purpose. He gave you the Comforter for an eternally weighty purpose. Just read verses 26 and 27 again. And listen to the words of Jesus. But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he shall testify of me, and you also shall testify of me. There it is right there. God has given you the Holy Spirit so that you can testify Jesus to this broken world. 
So I closed with this on Pentecost Sunday. And we have a baptism. Oxford professor C.S. Lewis once said, If you read history, you will find that Christians who did the most for this present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. Friends, purpose leaves behind legacy, does it not? This wasn't just true for Peter and the other disciples nearly 2,000 years ago. The Holy Spirit is still empowering believers all over the world today. Not long ago, Justin D. Long emphasized the surprising fact, I don't know if you know this, but more people have died for their faith in the 20th century than in all the previous centuries combined. That's astounding. He wrote, during this century, we have documented cases in excess of 26 million martyrs from 1901 till 2000. From A.D. 33 to 1900, we have documented 14 million martyrs. What exactly are the stories of these martyrs? Sometimes it helps to have flesh and bone. I want you to listen to one journalist describe the story of a man named Alexander. During the old Soviet Union, Christians were routinely hunted imprisoned and killed. Alexander Oganov spent seven lonely years in the former Soviet prison system, or Gulag. He had been convicted of running a Christian discussion group for other uh, students at Moscow State University where he was studying as a student. And this journalist, journalist writes, I had first heard of his plight from a letter he had written to former Soviet leader Mikhail Gorbachev. The letter published by Keston College, a British-based organization that monitored persecution in the former Union of the Soviet Socialist Republics. In the letter, Organov told Gorbachev that he had been in prison for five years and had not received one letter or a visit from any Christian. I know it is a sin to commit suicide, but I am so lonely that I wish to ask you to have me executed by firing squad, he wrote. After reading this appeal, I immediately organized a letter-writing and prayer campaign on his behalf in the United States. And within weeks, thousands of letters had arrived at his camp, and waves of prayer went up to heaven on his behalf. And soon, his case came to the attention of Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher at the time, and Thatcher interceded with Gorbachev on Organov's behalf, and the prisoner was released. And now he's running a soup kitchen for Moscow's homeless. And he said, you don't know what it was like to discover that there were Christians who cared, who wanted me to live, and who loved me. My friend, I can't imagine what seven years in a Soviet prison was like. I I know many of us complain about one month at NTC, so it's, it's beyond comparison. But I do know this, according to today's scripture passage, God has given Christians the Holy Spirit. Not so much, I would say, to collapse and speak in tongues. 
but to go out into a world that's broken and tell them about Jesus. This Pentecost, I exhort all of you, therefore, to go out in the power of the Holy Spirit, whose power you have, because as a believer, you are indwelled with the Holy Spirit the moment you believe. And in that power, tell this broken world about Jesus. Amen? Let us pray.